My mother had to go to work. She had, she had help with my dad and his business, but she never really worked. My mother was pretty uh, driven. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, one day we woke up and my mother was a millionaire. This is Brian Geister, and I want to express my gratitude for you tuning in to Holocaust Survivor Next Generation podcast. My podcast series capturing some of the most enduring stories in history around adversity, perseverance, hard work, entrepreneurship, and generosity that truly have never been shared from the first generation, or maybe better said, the second generation of Holocaust survivors around the world. As a third generation family member whose grandparents were both Holocaust survivors from Poland and Austria, the values that were passed down to me from my father around work ethic, integrity, supporting the Jewish community, and overcoming all odds have shaped the way that I see the world and hopefully my opportunity to make a positive impact. Steve, it's really a pleasure to be here with you today and and an honor to meet you. Thank you for making the time. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So to start off, can you tell us a a bit about the background of your family overseas prior to World War II? Um, Both of my parents uh, come from Poland. My mother came from a small town in uh, outside of Warsaw called Vyshkov. She's the oldest daughter. She's the second child. She has an older brother, had an older brother. And there were four kids uh, and my grandparents. Uh, They survived together. The six of them um, managed to leave Poland after the invasion in 39 and ended up in Russia. Long, complicated story, but uh, we can get into that later. Uh, My father was one of seven children uh, in a little town outside of Lublin. They owned a wheat mill. My uh, grandfather did. He had five sisters and a brother. Everyone except for him and his brother uh, perished in the Holocaust. So him and his brother survived. Uh, they met my mother's family in Uzbekistan in, in the late 1944, I believe. Uh, my parents were married in Uzbekistan and then um, went back to Poland after the war. The Poles were still killing Jews after the war because they were worried about the Jews taking back their properties and stuff. So they ended up in a DP camp, a displaced persons camp in Germany, uh, Bomberg, Germany, where I was born. We lived in um, Germany until I was about seven. My sister was born in Frankfurt. And then we uh, immigrated to the United States in uh, 1954, uh, joined my father's brother who lived in New York. And um, in 55, we moved to California. And uh, I've been here ever since, except for a brief time I spent uh, overseas uh, running a company in uh, Switzerland. I'm really glad to hear that on your mother's side, your family was able to get away and and move quickly. My grandfather had been in the uh, Polish, well, he was Polish, but he was in the Russian army. They fought the Germans during World War I. And um, he understood the German strength. And so when the war came, he uh, quickly went to the Russian side. he figured the Russians were, you know, a better way to go. So they went into Russia. Uh, they were actually captured in Russia and put in a um, prison camp, and you know, a work camp, basically. Uh, obviously, it wasn't a concentration camp because the Russians didn't do that. But as it turned out, when he was in World War One, uh, he had gotten captured uh, along with uh, with other Russian soldiers and put in a in a German prisoner war camp. You know, survivors have lucky stories and. Uh, so they were in this Russian camp. Uh, I get choked up talking about it, but anyway, they were in this Russian camp, and it turned out that camp commander was a fellow POW of my grandfather's. 
so it let them escape. Hmm. And they uh, ended up in Uzbekistan as a family, uh, four, four children. My mother was 12 when the war came. Our uh, youngest sibling was uh, about six. But the four children and the, my grandparents survived. And, and what were the, the names of, of your parents and your grandparents? Uh, my father was Joseph Hitter. My grandfather was uh, Samuel Hitter. I was named after him. Uh, my uh, my uncle Shmiel, or Sam, um, was the one that went to New York after the war. And uh, my mother was Anna. Her si siblings were Aaron and Abraham and, uh, and Renee Rivka. So you're born in Germany. I'm born in Germany, TP camp. And so after the war, I mean, you moved here, you showed when you were eight. And, and you, do you remember living in Germany as a child? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, um, my uncle, my mother's brother, older brother, and well, my, both of my mother's brothers stayed, came back to Germany. They actually went to Israel with my grandparents in 48. But they came back to Germany because there were more opportunities there. My father had a fairly successful or successful uh, uh, antique business. And so uh, they sort of joined him in that. And, uh, and then when, my father never wanted to live in Germany. So in 54, he, we moved to the United States. From some of the other interviews I've done, one of the interesting takeaways was the level of anti-Semitism after the war being so significant. Do you recall any of this or do you remember speaking to your parents about it? They just mentioned it. You know, my my father didn't speak much about the war and uh and you know, we didn't really have the the horrible stories. I mean, obviously he lost his his sisters and his parents and so he didn't speak much about it. But my you know, my my mother survived with her siblings and her parents. Um, so they didn't have that same, you know, they were never in a concentration camp. So they didn't have any of those kind of horror stories. I mean, they, they lost all their relatives, but it was, you know, on a different level. Um, and, um, so it was a little different. Yeah. I mean, they just told me that about years later about going to Poland. Cause I never understood why, why Jews would go to Germany after the war, but Germany was safer. It was under, you know, us control. So, um, and the Germans, they, they had their own heart, their own problems. You know, they weren't worried about Polish Jews coming back to take anything from them. So you and your family came here. Yeah. So. So, yeah, like I said, we lived in Germany until uh, I was about seven. And then we went to New York. I learned to speak English in New York. I went to elementary school in New York um, without speaking any English. When I left, I spoke English. So um, and. and um, when your parent, when you came with your parents, you know, in terms of professionally, were there significant language barriers? Did they speak English? What language did they speak? How did they kind of begin to assimilate here and figure out life in the United States? Well, it's interesting because I was so young, so I never really thought about it. But they obviously spoke German in Germany. They spoke Polish. They spoke Yiddish uh, at home. You know, growing up, we spoke German and Yiddish, basically Yiddish, you know, in the family. Uh, we moved to the United States and we started speaking English pretty, pretty easily. I, I, you know, for me, who, who's not very good at languages, I picked up the English obviously pretty well. That's all I speak at this point. Um, so, yeah, we spoke, we spoke English. And when they wanted to talk about the kids, you know, my sister and I, they would speak Polish. So we wouldn't understand. And of course, we understood Yiddish. And when our grandparents came to visit, you know, they, they spoke Yiddish. Either when you were in Germany or when you came back to the U.S., was, was the family observant? Did you celebrate Shabbat every Friday? 
My grandfather, to his death, was uh, was very orthodox. Uh, his best friend in Tel Aviv was the chief rabbi, Rabbi Gorin of uh, of Israel at the time. So uh, yeah, he was orthodox. We started out orthodox. You know, Polish Jews were all orthodox. There really wasn't, you know, a reform reform movement in in Poland. You know, you were an orthodox Jew. So we were orthodox technically, but we became uh, pretty conservative. I mean, my father, we we drove on Saturday. We wouldn't drive on Yom Kippur. My mother kept a kosher house till somewhere in the in the sixties, I think, or seventies. But uh, you know, we ate pretty traditional food. My mother made traditional meals. Uh, you know, it was a pretty traditional Jewish family. I was bar mitzvah. You know. Um, and uh, went to went to Hebrew school. Um, I ended up going to you know regular schools. I didn't. I never went to a Jewish school except for Hebrew school. As you think back to when you were growing up, can you share a little about the memories and values that have made a positive impact on your life? Well, I mean, you know, later on, I mean, at, at the beginning it was a struggle. I mean, my parent, my. Parents, my father had an antique company that in the 50s or late 50s, you know, antiques weren't very big, big thing in the United States. So it, it, he went out of that business. He went in the aluminum construction business, which are like patio covers and awnings and stuff and did, it did pretty well. But, you know, we had a middle class upbringing. Uh, we moved into a duplex in uh, West Hollywood, West Los Angeles, West, well, it actually was West borderline West Hollywood. Um, and they, you know, they bought a house and we moved, I mean, a duplex and they needed to buy a duplex so that they have enough income from the downstairs to be able to help pay the mortgage. And I grew up there. We, uh, we just sold it uh, 60 years later. You know, we've, we've had it in our family the whole time. Um, my mother was really strong on education because she, she didn't have one. She was 12 when the war came. She never went back to school. You know, we had a, you know, we had a, a middle-class upbringing and then, uh, and then my father died. He was 62. Sorry. Anyway, um, he had rheumatic fever as a child, so he had a weak heart. Um, nowadays, he would have had a heart transplant because the rest of him was fine, but he had a really weak heart. So anyway, he died right after my 30th birthday. And uh, my mother had to go to work. She had, she had help with my dad in his business, but she never really worked. Um, my mother was pretty uh, driven and uh, went in the jewelry business because my uncles who took over my dad's uh, business in uh, Germany were still in Germany and they were in the jewelry business. They had gotten into real estate, but they had started in the jewelry business. So they had connections in, in Europe. And in the 70s, when my dad died, um, Italian chain was just becoming a big product in uh, worldwide. And uh, my mother went back to to uh, Germany and then to Italy and, and started importing Italian chain. And uh, she was highly successful. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, one day we woke up and my mother was a millionaire. And then, uh, uh, sorry, I'm getting so choked up. No, it's, it's, it's understandable. I'm, you know, it sounds like you're really close with your father. Yeah, well, and then my mother's successes was pretty amazing. Yeah. She was only 48 when he died. 49. Anyway, so uh, she became very successful. She basically invented uh, jewelry on QVC. Um, she had sales and Slavics and many of the major jewelry companies in the United States as clients. Um, and then she started investing in real estate. And, uh, and the rest of that is history. 
So as you began to think about your career path, because your father passes away, you're 30 years old. Yeah. Where are you at this point? Well, I went to, you know, I was um, growing up. I thought I was going to become a lawyer because that's what Jewish boys did. I, w I didn't like the sight of blood, so I wasn't going to become a doctor. But in my senior year in high school, I took an art class because you had to take an art class. And uh, my uh, instructor discovered that I had talent. I always drew. Ever since I was a little kid, I've always drawn. So he asked me what my interests were, and I said it was girls and cars. And he <laughs> said, he said I can't help you with the girls, but uh, uh, there's a school that teaches car design in, in Los Angeles. And I said, there is. Anyway, it's called the Art Center College of Design. And uh, it was down the street. I mean, not down the street, about two miles away. So I cr created a portfolio and, and I got in. I was one of the younger students that get in. And so I became a, I, I studied industrial design. Hmm. Um, didn't become a car designer because I decided I didn't want to go to Detroit. I'm, you know, I'm a California hippie kid at this point and I didn't want to go to Detroit and wear a tie. So I became an art director and I was pretty successful at that. So my dad dies. Uh, my mother goes in the business and I'm working as an art director. And, um, and I created a small ad, ad agency, which became pretty successful. Ended up having a lot of jewelry clients because I was doing work for my mother and other jewelry people. And one day I probably had the largest, uh, I, had, I had more clients, you know, local jewelry clients um, in the United States. I mean, in, in Los Angeles. That, anyway, that started my career. Can you talk about the evolution of your career from there? So I started this ad agency, which specialized in jewelry, and uh, and I had some very successful clients. I did some really good campaigns, and and the jewelry business in Los Angeles was growing. So I was, you know, part of that trend. Um, one day, one of my clients introduced me to another client, and he had a uh, he did uh, private label watches, and he got the Gucci license. Um, and he was a really small client of mine, and who paid his bills pretty slowly, but. Um, in the end, uh, in the end, within the next few years, he became a pretty big client. And um, so I got him in 1976. And like I said, it wasn't much of a client. Uh, and first time I ever had one of my photographers shoot, shoot an ad for me, he looked at the watch and he went, why would anyone buy a watch with Gucci on the dial? And I went, Ellie, just shoot the photograph. We're still friends. But, uh, <laughs> but um Anyway, it turned into a, a huge company, and uh, they asked me to come in-house in, in 1984. I started the uh, in-house ad agency. I became marketing director, um, creative director. Uh, I became the point man on the Gucci, on the Gucci side because um, I had to deal with them anyway from an advertising standpoint. And uh, I started designing watches because that's what I do. You know, I draw anyway. Make a short story long. Uh, Ninety one, I went. I was appointed president of the company in Switzerland, and I, we moved to Switzerland. Sounds like an amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty amazing. So amazing we went from you know making two thousand watches a year to making a million watches a year when I when I went to Switzerland. So when you think about just your professional career and what you've been able to accomplish, when you look back, what do you take the most pride in? Uh, I actually, you know, I, you know, I, I credit Art Center because even though I didn't become a car designer, it really taught me how to, how to bear down and get work done. And, uh, you know, it's one of the, I was pretty focused. So, I mean, I had never, you know, obviously I'd never run a major company. All of a sudden I went to Switzerland and I had a hundred employees and, um, you know, I'm this Jewish kid, as far as I'm concerned, I'm this Jewish kid who only speaks English. 
and I and I have a hundred Swiss employees who speak French and German. And uh, I told him when I got there that my f French and German wouldn't improve, but their English would be getting much better. Anyway, we um, and I went there because the people that were running Switzerland um, just didn't understand our mentality. Anyway, I turned the turned the business around. I mean, it wasn't a successful business at that point, but by the time I left, we like I said, we produced we were producing a million watches a year. We were the second largest producer of watches in Switzerland after Swatch. And we probably made the second most amount of money after Rolex. But yet nobody thought of us as a watch company. We were a fashion brand. But we became the leading fashion brand in the world in those years. And how, how, how long did you live in Switzerland? Uh, seven years. You were there for seven years. Yeah. When you were growing up, as your mother had success, how did Sadaka play a role in your lives? It was always part of, you know, it was always part of our lives. We didn't have a lot of money, but there was always uh, donations to the temples or, you know. And then they joined the 39 Club. We, you know, they, I, I, I tell everyone that our family was the 39 Club. Uh, it was a Holocaust organization that was started in the 50s. And when we came to the United States, they met other Holocaust survivors. They all be they were all members of the 39 club so uh, you know i joke that the girls i dated were holocaust survivors children i married a woman that holocaust survivors her parents were from uh, from vilna and um and that's the people i know my friends still are you know children of holocaust survivors you know how did you and your your wife originally meet we met at a wedding of another child of holocaust survivors my best friend and she had grown up with him they had chicken ranches in the valley in the 50s when they came over uh, as my uh, father-in-law used to joke that uh, you know he didn't speak english but neither did the chickens so it didn't really matter steve can you share a little bit about some of the or different organizations um that you support today that you're most passionate about well we you know we started out supporting the 39 club um money went to israel uh, i became the art director for the 39 club i produced this annual yearbook and uh, and invitations and all that stuff, which I always did for, you know, obviously for pro bono. And we, you know, we donate money to that. Um, my mother ended up joining a number of organizations. Uh, she got involved with Sheba Medical Center in Israel, Tel Um she, she went on the board. Uh, she married a uh, successful real estate developer as her second husband in the, just about the time I went to Switzerland in the early 90s. And... Um, between the two of them, they started, he, he was very successful, but had never really been a philanthropist, but my mother sort of pushed him in that direction. So uh, there's a building at uh, Tel Aviv University that has both their names on it. There's a building at bar Ilan University. Uh, they contributed to Sheba Medical Center and, uh, and Cedar sinai the you know, main hospital in Los Angeles. And so I got involved in those. Uh, I'm, I was... I'm on the board of uh, Cedar Sinai Board of Governors. I was chairman of the board um, seven years ago. We, we support Cedars. I'm on the board of um, Sheba Medical Center. I'm on the board of Art Center now. We support Federation. We support uh, Tel Aviv University, Hebrew University, uh, a number of uh, charities in Israel. But those are the those are the main things that we support. My daughter and wife are uh, into mindfulness and meditation, so we support. Uh, Spirit Rock, which is a mindfulness place up in San Francisco. And um, and my daughter works uh, as a uh, mindfulness teacher, but she's gone to um, both Chad and to Greece working in refugee camps. 
So we've supported those organizations. So the, the values have been passed down yeah, no, we, to your, to your daughter, yeah. who's really yeah. made a career out of how do I help others? Yeah, for sure. Um, which is really special. Yeah. Grandma used to joke, she'll never make any money. You know, I, I found the more that I give, the more that I get. And so, you know, just talk about the experience in terms of the opportunity to be in a position to be able to give the amount that you guys have in such a significant way and how that's really impacted your life. Well, my mother started the, they hit her family foundation. Uh, you know, when she started making money, she created a foundation and, uh, you know, uh, like I said, it, uh, education was very important to her. So that's why we're involved in a number of universities. Uh, she wanted to make sure that, you know, the granddaughters got an education. Um, and uh, so, you know, giving giving to the foundation is something my sister and I do on a, you know, annual basis. And the foundation gives as much money as we can give to, you know, a number of different organizations. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege yeah, to be able to thank you spend the time with you really appreciate you sharing yeah, sorry i got so emotional touching story no it's very emotional and i appreciate you you know sharing with with me and thanks for obviously making the time it's really a privilege all right well thank you for for doing this thanks so I much appreciate it this is brian geister thank you so much for tuning into the podcast i'll be back next time with another story featuring an incredible philanthropist who's overcome all kinds of adversity and the horrors of the Holocaust coming to North America and building an incredible company. Thank you so much and hope to see you again soon.